0: Ephesians chapter 6 again, this is a a wonderful book in itself one of my favorite books in the Bible Maybe one one time we'll do actually teach through it and preach through it But I want to take just really here the next couple weeks We're going to kind of go through the armor of God and the different pieces And I I don't know about you, but most of you know I think most pastors if they're honest, they love history. I love history. You guys know that Uh, one of my favorite things though is studying uh, Roman history, especially uh, probably during the time of the Pax Romana, uh, during those uh, early, a little bit after Julius Caesar, and uh, through the different earlier Caesars and all that. Kind of an interesting world it was back then. But I guarantee you, something that would have been very easy to spot in a crowd would have been the Roman soldier, the legionnaire in particular. And uh, so, we're going to, over the next few weeks, we'll be kind of looking at the different aspects of the armor, but we're going to kind of do this today as, a, as an introduction. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing this book of Ephesians to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, and it is believed that the Apostle Paul wrote this book, this epistle, while he was under house arrest in Rome. It's believed to be that way. And uh, during this time, uh, it is believed if he was under house arrest that he would have been chained to a Roman soldier, uh, who would definitely serve as an object lesson for Paul as he penned these words. Now, whether or not that soldier was in full military garb is, is debated, but nonetheless, he was had soldiers around him all the time. And uh, so something, again, he would, and of course, the church in Ephesus, those believers would have, again, easily recognized the Roman soldier out in the crowd. But as he penned these words, I think it's very important to know by inspiration of Scripture that these, this is kind of a rallying cry, if you will, for the believer as you look through this. Because these verses here, I believe, serve as marching orders of how we should walk worthy of our vocation or walk worthy of our calling, Ephesians 4, verse 1. Our walk is very important, as God has called us, to live by faith, to walk in love, walk in light, and walk according, according to his will. But you understand, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are in a great battle, a spiritual battle. We are battling the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are our enemies. Yet, it's important to understand that God has equipped every believer with his armor that is sufficient for every battle. It's true. God will not leave us unprotected. That's amazing. Like I said, God has equipped every believer with his armor. And I believe this, when we kind of take a bird's-eye view of the armor of God and the purposes of it, I think really what we should glean from this, first of all, is that God, his wisdom is immense. It's, you know, we can't comprehend it, but he's all wise. And we also see that God is caring for his own. Like I said, God does not leave his children abandoned. He is there. He is there to protect him and provide for them. This is amazing as you think about that. So God, in his wisdom and his care, he provides for his children and his church. In that, we are victorious in him. We are victorious in Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We have victory in Christ. So with that, never fear when the battle is raging. Some of you might be going through temptations and struggles and In fact, it might be even hard even to put into words what is going on, whether it be physical battles or especially spiritual battles. By the way, the spiritual life, that's the real life when you think about it. It really is. But never fear when the battle is raging. And the command for us, as Paul writes here, put on the whole armor of God. That is what we are commanded to do. So brothers and sisters, that's my challenge to us today, that we put on the armor of God today. As we look here at this verse, in verse 10, it begins, Finally, my brethren. Okay? As we think about that, finally, it's kind of like, you know, how you close a message. So when I say finally, that doesn't mean we're getting out in five minutes. Don't laugh, okay? I know you're... I know what you're thinking, okay? Okay, (laughs) so... But when we think about the flow of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, uh, I like really how it's broken down. And the things that we, are, we gain from God from this, we actually are given spiritual wealth. We are given the riches of his grace and glory in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 1.7 talks about that. We are saved through the, by the uh, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the riches of his grace. We are also given our challenge in our spiritual walk as well as we talked earlier today. In Ephesians 4, especially, to walk worthy of the vocation or the calling that Christ has given us. We In in Ephesians 5, that we are supposed to walk in love and and walk in light. And this is actually in marching orders as well. And as we think about that spiritual walk, and actually last February, we actually went through uh, talking about marriage, roles of husbands and wives and children. That's really what Ephesians 5 and 6. uh, We are to to walk in the Spirit, for example. Okay. Anyways, these things are practical parts of life, but it's all. Understand this: that all this really leads to what is really important. That's the facing our spiritual enemy. Okay. And so this is in regards to we talked about spiritual wealth. We talked about our spiritual walk, and now we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. And this is a this should not be taken lightly. Uh, Child of God, we are in a battle, whether you realize or not, whether you feel it or not. I said, hey, everything's going pretty good for me, pastor. You know, I can't really complain too much. You know, if things are going fi- fine at the job, with the house and all that. But be careful because it doesn't take much for things to turn on a dime. And we are in a great spiritual warfare. Okay? And so we're going to be talking about that. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The word finally there is kind of like in light of everything that has been said in this book, uh, in, the, in these chapters here. Uh, in light of what Paul has previously written, I like what one commentary kind of lays out these bullet points, if you will, in light of all that God has done for you, in light of the glorious standing that you have as a child of God, that's amazing standing, in light of the great, his great plan of the ages that God has made you a part of, you know, you're just not just a blip on the radar, you have an important part in God's program, amazing, as his child. As we think about this, we talk about in light of the plan of, for Christian maturity and growth that he gives you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and 4 in particular talking about the growth of the church and the edifying and the strengthening of the body. This is so important. Okay. Also, to, 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 in light of the conduct God calls every believer to live. Again, to walk worthy. In light of the filling of the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. And then, in light of all this, there is a battle to fight in the Christian life. There is a great battle. So, Paul says here, before we get into the parts of the armor, which I guess that's probably the fun part. We like to talk about the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and all these things. And we're going to get to that. It's going to be fun. But we have got to lay that foundation here first. And the first thing is, the calls to this, first of all, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So, what does it mean then to be strong in the Lord? This is a, a command here. It says the idea here is to be, to be strong or to be strengthened in the Lord. In fact, the the, the Greek idea behind this is that this is a continual strengthening that we need. This isn't just, uh, you know, you sign up to be in the service. I know we have some veterans here. Thank you for your service to our country. We really do appreciate it. But you guys who have served in the Army or the, whatever branch it is, uh, Harvey, you didn't go into the Navy boot camp. And all of a sudden, you know, the day one, you got your uniform and you're all set to go. Be strong, Harvey. You're going to make it. No, you had to daily prepare yourself daily, especially in boot camp, but then forever for everything else, right? Mm -hmm. So everything is important here. Just as so, for the believer, every day we need to be strengthened in the Lord. Every day we need to be strong in the Lord. This is not a once, once you're saved you're good. How many of you have ever been told maybe when you got saved saying, hey, once you get saved you're going to have it made. You're going to have, all your problems are going to disappear and everything is going to be hunky-dory wonderful, as Jerry Carlson likes to say, Right? (laughs) How many of you maybe you've, you've heard that expression that all your all your troubles are going to go away once you become a, a, a Christian, once you become saved? Well, I tell you what, the battle's really just begun. Now, do we have tremendous blessings of being saved? Absolutely. We have assurance of salvation. We have a hope of heaven and in our relationship with Christ and dwelling in the spirit. The list goes on and on of what we, we do get. But we are in a battle. Understand this, before we are saved, the Bible says that we are at enmity, or we are literally at war with God. We were against God in how we lived. And now that we are saved, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I hope you have. If you haven't, please don't leave without knowing the good news of salvation that Christ gives, okay? But understand this, once you are saved, you end up switching sides in the battle. You are a child of God. You are a soldier of his, and guess what? The enemy, Satan, the deceiver, the accuser, he has his sights. You know what? He really can't touch Christ. He really can't do that, so he's going to try, try to touch his followers. Be careful. We are in a great battle, but guess what? The battle has been won, and that's what we need to look into. That's why we can be strong in the Lord. You know, this strength here is not found in yourself. This is, not, this is only of God. Maybe you've tried to, maybe someone's tried to encourage you. Believe in yourself. You can do this. You know, sometimes we get the, sometimes you've heard it said by, sometimes well-meaning that God will never give you more than you can handle. I'll be honest with you. God always gives us more than we can handle. Think about it. Every day when you think about it, look what's going on with Frankie. That's more than you can handle, brother. It really is. But guess what? You can do all things through Christ. You can be content. What strengthens you is that daily, continuing strength that we need. So the idea of believe in yourself, just you know, tighten your bootstraps a little bit more, and you got this. You know what? There's a lot of days I can't do that. Some of you are going stuff where it's way over your head. You're treading through. You're you're in the deep end of the pool, and you're just treading water, thinking, "How am I going to make it through this day? How am I going to make it through this week? How am I going to whatever temptation is maybe affecting you right now?" God, deliver me, help me, give me strength. And that's why we daily need to be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. This is a command for us. This is not optional. This is a command for us to do. It's given by our commander in chief. So then how can we be strong in the Lord? How then can we be strong? How can we have this daily strengthening? And it comes, as we see in the second part of verse 10, it's found in the power of his might. This power or strength. Is of his might is really a prevailing and triumphant power of God who gives us of his never ending resources. It's interesting when we think, even with the current conflict that's going on in Ukraine and and Russia right now, and they're trying different parties are trying to get the big issue is trying to get resources. How is Ukraine going to fight against Russia, for example? It's a big undertaking, but guess what? They're always calling out, We need more resources, we need help, we need this, we need that. I remember um, a news report came when uh, the conflict was really just, just taking off, and uh, Ukraine was asking for some, some help from different countries. Of course, our, our, our country has done that. And uh, I remember uh, Germany, actually, then, uh, once they, the word got out, so they, Germany sent to the Ukrainian government 5,000 helmets. That's what they sent them at the very beginning of this conflict. And then the, I think it was the foreign minister of Ukraine says, what are they going to send us next, pillows? You know. You know, we're talking about needing resources and we need real tools, real things to fight with, okay? So this is very important as we see this as well that when we are in the spiritual battle that we are serving under our commander in chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, and guess what? He gives us his prevailing and triumphant power and he gives us of his never-ending resources. In other words, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, whatever it may be that you need that day, God never runs out of that supply. It's ready and available for you as you put it on daily. God, is his supply is never ending. As we see this, what is this power? The power that we see here, the power of his might or the strength of his might, what is that? And actually in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to kind of look at a few verses today, turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. At the beginning here, and let's talk a little bit about this strength and of its power and what it looks like. I think this is very important. So Paul's not just talking now about the armor of God, you know, just some random thing. He links it through a couple different areas in this in this in this book in uh, Ephesians chapter one verse nineteen. Okay, it says here, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? according to the working of his mighty power. In other words, God's power, his might, is available to you and me. He gives it to us. All right, praise God for that. What does this power look like? Exactly what does this mean? You know, it says here in verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. In other words, this power that is given to us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You talk about wonder-working power, okay? This is amazing when we think about that. What also does this power look like? Not only is it the power that raised Christ from the dead, but look with me in chapter 2, verse 1. It says here, And you hath he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses in sin. This is talking about what has happened to us when we get saved, okay? We are made alive in him. And guess what? That's done by that same power. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the same power that brings you from darkness into light, from death to life, to live for him. This is that wonderful power of God that he gives us. So back in Ephesians chapter 6, talking about the power of his might, this is mighty power that the devil can't lay hold on. The world can't touch. And the flesh has no control over. This is that wonderful power of God that he gives us. And again, his resources are endless. When we think about that, I want us to know, beloved, that we can rest assured that we are victorious in the Lord. He is Lord of all. Look with me back in Ephesians 1, in verse 20, uh, 20. Actually, go to 20, 22, or 21 now. Talking about Christ who was raised from the dead, it says about him, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the world, but also that is in, which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet, under Christ's feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, that filleth all in all. So understand this, that we can rest assured in the Lord. He is Lord of all. In other words, he has all authority, all dominions, all principalities, all powers of this world. All that is subject to Jesus Christ. Remember that when you're going through a time of great temptation, spiritual battle, which is the real battle, like I said, when you're going through that, remember this, that Christ is victorious. Everything is under his feet. Everything is under his watchful eye. Nothing escapes him, and we can rest in that. And with this, this is a call to arms. I like what 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 says. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. In other words, we are called to be courageous. We are called to stand firm. We are called to stand, and be watchful. Why? Because we are called to be courageous. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. As we go back to Ephesians 6, again, we are called... To to put on, me, to be strong in the Lord. The next thing we are called to do is in verse eleven. But put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The idea here, put on the whole armor of God, is the second command that Paul gives. The first command is to be strong in the Lord. Second command, put on the whole armor of God, and the third command we'll get to probably next week, and we're going to talk about having to stand to stand. Therefore, okay, those are the three commands that are given to us as soldiers of Christ. As we think about this, it says here, put on the whole armor of God. Well, what does this mean? First of all, the call to put on is really a call. It's an urgent call. It demands immediate action. It's like the enemy is, about, is at the door. Get ready. Put on the whole armor of God. You know, I don't know about you, but when you get up every day, how do you start your day? I know it's easy, What? especially in this age. The first thing a lot of us do is what? ah, uh, what's the weather going to be like? Do I have any text messages? You know, what's on Facebook? What's on Twitter? You know, We think of all that, right? But let me just say this. When we get up in the morning, understand that we are entering a spiritual warfare. And it needs to be bathed in prayer. I remember when I was in Bible college, Marty Vaughn, a good friend of mine now still, and he challenged us. We had a class called The Study of Prayer. And we're going to talk heavily about prayer at, towards the end of this. But when we think about prayer, he challenged us as Bible college students Is this, this. When you wake up in the morning and before you put your feet on the floor, do this. Pray. And all you have to do is simply, God, thank you for the rest you gave me. Thank you for this day. Help me to live for you. It doesn't have to be long. But give that first moment, that first action of the day to God in prayer. Set your day right. And that will direct the course of it, Okay. This is something I still try to do, and it's a good practice for me in Bible college and, and still is today. today. So again, putting on the whole armor of God. It's, it's an urgent call. It demands immediate action. Now, remember that this armor of God, what exactly is the armor of God? And it talks about the whole armor, and the whole armor is here. It refers to the, actually the Greek word for whole is where we get our word panoply from. It's kind of like an abundance or many, many parts to it, okay? So it's talking about the whole armor of God. This is the complete armor of God that God uses or supplies. You can look at it really both ways. This is armor. Did you know that God has armor himself that he uses? He also supplies that armor to us. God has faithfully provided this armor, and it's funded by the bank of heaven. All right? It's funded by the bank of heaven. You can't go wrong with that. This is divine armor that he has given us. And God, like I said, he has modeled this armor. It says in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. Let me read it. For he hath put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad as as with zeal as a cloak. Doesn't that sound a lot like the armor of God? At least some parts of it. In other words, we're saying here that having armor of God isn't just some abstract idea. This is actually a flow of thought throughout the plan of the ages that God has his own armor. Is it actually a literal armor? Does he really have a breastplate and a helmet? I don't know, but it's the idea of this, that God is using these things. He is modeling his armor. So we are called to do that. And again, it's fully provided to us from the bank of heaven. Another thing to realize about this armor, the armor of God, is this. It's suited for us according to God's wisdom. In other words, when God suits you with his armor, you lack nothing. You lack nothing. God will not leave his children defenseless. All right? He has equipped you for the battle. I think it's interesting. I was, when I'm studying this, I was kind of thinking back in the Old Testament of when David was called as a young shepherd lad, and he went to the Valley of Elah, and there was this ugly giant called Goliath, okay? Goliath is, of course, taunting Israel. And uh, defying Israel. And uh, David, of course, steps up. I'll go fight that giant. He, remember what happens. He goes to Saul, the king. And uh, Saul says, oh, sure, go. And, but before you go, let me give you my armor. Remember? Saul, and David tries on his armor. Read First Samuel chapter 17. You'll read the whole account. And as, he, as David tries on this armor, he realizes something. What was it? It didn't fit. It wasn't suited for David, okay? It was suited for Saul, who was, remember, head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel. How's this little shepherd boy from Bethlehem? How is he going to fit into it? Nonetheless, I give give Saul at least A for effort, you know, but nonetheless, it wasn't there. Rather, David was offered Saul's armor to fight Goliath, but rather, David came with what? A, and a staff, exactly, a, a sling, all right? But what, he, what happened was this. When David finally went to face Goliath, he, remember uh, he, uh, Goliath says, you come to me with a, you know, with a stave and with a sling. And what does David say? He says, I come in the name of the Lord. In other words, David was fighting basically in the armor of God. It wasn't necessarily something you would see, but he was fighting with, it was a spiritual battle. Ultimately, it was going on. As we think about that, when we put on the armor of God, God, number one, he equips us, he f- it fits us exactly what we need for our lives. But also putting on the armor of God identifies us with our captain. Romans chapter 13 verse 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the, fle- for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. When you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like putting on that armor. Again, it's that sense of urgency. Again, with Christ, we have nothing lacking. So when we put on the armor of God, we are basically modeling or identifying with our captain with Jesus Christ. So the question is then, when we think about the armor of God, well, why do we need to put on the armor of God? Well, Paul answers that here in verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Okay? The word here, to stand, is a military term for holding on to a position. This key word enables the soldier to ward off attacks. So here's the point. When, before we can launch an offensive, military speaking, we must be able to stand our ground. If you don't have a good home base, if you don't have a good footing, especially in the ancient world, you don't have a good footing, you're not going to launch a very effective offensive. And that's the idea. So to stand has basically we are in position to attack. We have a firm position as we do that. And then to stand against, as we think about that, we are to stand Against the wiles of the devil, the word "against" here it has really a fourfold mention here in verse twelve. Look with me quickly, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the spiritual, uh, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So four times the word "against" is mentioned there, and this is really important. Next week we're going to be talking more specifically on those verses, but I want to kind of us to think about it this way. The fourfold stand against reveals here the diabolical determination of our enemy. When it keeps mentioning against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness, Satan is bound and determined to upset the apple cart of God's kingdom. Exactly. And so when you think about that, and again, a lot of times we are unaware of Satan's attacks. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. Remember, Peter didn't see that. Jesus did. He looked in that spiritual world. So again, this is why we need to put on the armor of God. Because we have a real enemy. As we see there here, he talks, what are we standing against? It says the wiles of the devil. I remember there was a country preacher back in Tennessee, believe it or not. But anyways, he talked about, you know, we need to stand against the willies of the devil. We need to watch for them too, okay? <laughs> but as we think about that, these are the wiles. Of the devil. What does that mean? The wiles here are Satan's tricks, His schemes. And actually, the Greek word is methodias, where we get the word method from. All of Satan's methods, his tricks, his schemes that he has, he is wise and crafty. So understand this. Satan's goal is what? Is to destroy the unity of the body of Christ through false doctrine and through dissension. What Satan loves more than others, he hates what we're doing here right now. He would love to see this splinter, and you know, by God's grace we are here. And my prayer is this, I pray this every week, that we would be unified for, under Jesus Christ and under his leadership. He's the great shepherd. I'm the under shepherd. He's the great shepherd. We need to follow his lead. And we need to be unified as one through Jesus Christ. That's the fellowship we have. I mean, look at our background that we have. On a normal way of life, this, probably, this event probably wouldn't happen if things just naturally flow like that. It doesn't. But we have one thing in common, that's our relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. This is something we can rejoice in. But again, Satan's goal is to destroy the unity of the body of Christ. Again, partly through false doctrine, also dissension. Uh, My challenge is this, to don't underestimate your enemy. Know your enemy. Understand this, Satan, he is crafty. He's subtle, he's powerful. He is, but he's a defeated foe. He's a defeated foe. You know what Satan loves more than anything else, as we think about the armor of God, is this that his attacks will try to disarm the believer. When you think about putting on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, shield of faith, those things, Satan, what he's trying to do is really to disarm you, to disarm the body, or disarm the believer. And really, what he says is, you know what, you don't need that armor. You can handle this on your. You're doing pretty good. You know, a lot of times when we think that we can stand pretty well on our own strength, yeah, I got it made, you know. Me and Jesus, we're, we're like this. <laughs> a humble person will say, man, I need more of Jesus. I need more of his grace. I need more of his armor, when you think about that. Satan loves to deceive. He loves to say, this is not necessary. He says, you know, this passage, don't worry about it. Just, just skip on There's other parts of the Bible that are, you know, lovey-dovey. We can have looked at that. But understand this, he, his lies, his craftiness, his deceit, remember, he is powerful. He is a powerful enemy. By the way, you have no chance yourself against Satan. That's right. You really don't. And I say that with sincerity and humility when I say this, folks, that Satan would love to have a one-on-one match with you because he'll win it every time. But guess what? You're not alone. You're not alone because what we put on the armor of God—that's—it means we identify with Jesus Christ. And I pray every morning, and I pray this today, Lord, grant me your grace and your strength. Help me to be strong, in the Lord, in the power of your might, not my might. My might's nothing. I need God's might, and that's the only way you're going to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, or the willies for that matter. Okay. As we think about that, understand this: that our God is victorious. He always wins. He always wins. Our God is victorious. So let's talk about the Christian warfare then as we look at through this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And the power is might, put on the whole armor of God. They may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Another, n- n- number one, I'm talking about a Christian's warfare. A Christian's warfare can only be fought with divine help. This is why we need each other, a body of Christ, as a church. We need one another, but we need God. We need His Word. We need to pray. Understand this, that a Christian's warfare also involves a fierce conflict with the powers of evil. We are engaged in that battle, whether you realize it or not. A Christian's warfare involves a, a, a fierce conflict with the devil. Also, we see here, Christian's warfare is only victorious only as the warrior is fitted with the armor of God. The only way that you can win this battle, and by the way, this is a battle that is going on till the end of the age, until Christ comes back, okay? This battle is going to keep going on. There's not a day that goes by when we're not in that battle, okay? But we are only victorious as warriors as we are fitted with the armor of God. question is this, how do we put on this armor? We're going to talk again in the next couple of weeks exactly what the different parts of the armor is, but how do we put on the armor of God? It says in verse 18, chapter 6, 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. In other words, each piece we put on with prayer. He says, I don't know how to do that. I would challenge you this. You get up even today. Actually, at the the invitation time, I, I challenge you, take a moment and say, God, I don't know how to put it on there, but put it on me. Place it, let it fit me, Lord, that I may be able to stand the battle because I can't do this in my own strength. I need your strength. I need to be strong in your name and your power. This is something that we desperately need. And no one here today is without need of God's grace. We desperately need it. We desperately need his strength and his power. I love the, the hymn. I, I don't know if we have this in our hymnal or not. We can sing it some other time in the next couple of weeks. Charles Wesley wrote this song. Soldiers of Christ, Arise. And put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal Son, strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus trusts is more than conqueror. There's more verses to that. It's a wonderful teaching here. And actually Charles Wesley wrote that uh, when uh, actually the early Methodists were facing numerous challenges uh, in their time, and they were, they were challenged to put on the armor of God. A good song for that. We are called then to be strong or to be strengthened in the Lord. Talking again about King David. When, before David was king, he faced the loss of the city of Ziklag. You'll find that in First Samuel chapter 30. The Amalekites had destroyed this little village of Ziklag, and, he, and the Amalekites uh, kidnapped the women and children that had taken them captive. The people, David's men, called for David to be stoned, to to, to let him die. However, what did David do? The people were discouraged. They were disheartened. They were facing now an emotional and physical battle. But however, David encouraged or strengthened himself in the Lord, as it says in verse 6 of that chapter. With this, David sought the Lord with confidence. He asked the Lord, what should we do? Should we go after the Amalekites? And the Lord answered him and promised him victory. So David led his men to pursue and fight against the Amalekites and was victorious. So in essence, what did David do? He put on the armor of God. That's exactly what he did. He strengthened himself in the Lord. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here in in Ephesians. You understand this, that David knew his limitations. That's why he cried out to God. He was weak physically and emotionally, and he had to depend on the strength of the Lord, just like you and I do. God's strength, beloved is ever ready, it's dependable, and it's sufficient for whatever challenges or whatever foes you may face. But beloved, you can rest in the promise of God, being strengthened by the power of his might. Victory Baptist Church, for those who are here, friends, family, those who are watching, my challenge is to you, as Paul said, put on the armor of God. Do it today. Rest in his strength.